BDSM and non-standard relationships. Star exchange and polyamory. Sacred sexuality and fetishes. As, as well, well as, as simply, simply fun, fun kink. kink. You'll find shows on these topics and more at eroticawakeningpodcast.com. This week on Erotic Awakening, conversations with Ian Snow from freedomandconstraint.com, BDSM, and mindful meditation. Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. Your hosts, Dan and Dawn, share with you their experience and insights on kink, power exchange, and erotic life, as well as bring you interviews with exciting people from various lifestyles. Erotic Awakening is intended for mature audiences. If you are offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. So you've gone back to reading that whole thing again. I have. Why wouldn't I? Because we were not reading that whole thing for a while. There's nothing crossed out. I know. It's not been crossed out. So. Oh. So, so there you go. I have no clue which to not read. Hi, Don. Hi, Dan. Today on the podcast, we're going to be speaking with Ian Snow. We talked to him for a little while ago, and we talked about using meditation to process pain, as well as mindfulness as a dom, and all other good stuff. Mm-hmm. It'll be about a 25-minute conversation, flowed real smoothly, really neat neat conversation, a neat person. It was. It was. So I know he got me hot and bothered during part of it, so... <laughs> Did Well, that's not that hard a thing to do. <laughs> it's not. And uh, also, we'll talk a little bit about the poly-intensive we just did. And you have mm-hmm. some writing that you've been referring to that you want to uh, talk about as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. I got permission to, to read it on the podcast. And once I made a response to it, they wrote back and said, oh, I'm a listener of the podcast. So, And I'm like, well, how about if I read it on there? So they like that idea. Well, cool. Cool. I did notice that the uh, Facebook has somehow, for some reason, gone insane. Gone insane. And um, all these names that I have on here, there's probably about 15 more that I could add, which will be on the next show. So these are all people that have licked us on Facebook lately. Uh Uh-huh. Well, let's see how fast we can get through them. Okay. I only put first names. Sorry, guys. I didn't know how out you were. So uh, Liza. Jason. Doris. Rachel. Elizabeth. Chrissy. Lance. Terry. Kim. Kimberly. Glenn. Bug. Melissa. Cassandra. Brandon. Danny. Carlos. Susan. Sherry. Simone. Nicole. Michelle. Dwayne. Angela. Miguel. John. April. Bees. Kimmy. And Chris have all licked us on Facebook lately. And normally we get two or three Facebook likes a week. Mm Mm-hmm. But... Something, and I think it has to do with the Erotic Awakening Podcast Network. I, I don't think know, so, though. too. I think so, too. I don't know if it's that or the postcards that went out with um, Beyond the Love or I don't know, but it has exploded. So it's pretty amazing. So expect us to start writing more on Facebook. <laughs> I guess so, since people are going to pay attention to it. Exactly. Exactly. So how are you, Don? I'm pretty good. How are you? Happy anniversary. Ha ha ha. You beat, beat me to, to it. it. It Happy, happens to be yeah. It happens to be our 13th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. You were saying earlier um you were surprised that we got here. I it's it's weird to think about because of how long we've known each other. Mm-hmm. And um because we met are you okay with me saying dates? Sure, sure. <laughs> we actually met each other in 84. So I was still in high school, you had already graduated, and circumstances had it to where that's when we met. But we only, God, we moved in together in 
99. Mm -hmm. We got married. We got collared in March of 2001 and then married in December of 2001. So married for 13 years. And I was asking you over dinner. I'm like, okay, I already know the answer to this, obviously. But, you know, think about it. In 84, did you have any clue that we would be sitting here today eating Indian and look at all the stuff that we've accomplished in the well, last even, 15 years? Even in 2001 when we got married and you, right. were, you were my slave before you were my wife. But even yes, then to think that, you know, um, would we have accomplished and done the things that we've done with the power exchange to last? Because 13 years, it's a long time for a power exchange relationship mm-hmm. to last as well. Mm-hmm. Um we did a lot of foundational work. Well, yes, and it's and it's been it's been challenging often, mm-hmm. but we continue to face the challenges and actually work through them instead of just throwing up our hands and running away. Although, right. can't say we didn't get close once or twice. I know, I know, and that stuff comes <laughs> up when we go through our intensives and things too. Not all of it. We didn't talk about all of it, but uh, I know over the weekend we actually. Uh, shared with people so a lot of the tools that we know and these are not tools that we like read in a poly book yet but um tools that we learned from yeah. different places because we needed to because we were struggling yeah over the weekend we did do uh, at the um, lra in chicago illinois we did a five-hour uh polyamory plain and simple intensive mm-hmm. and we just shared just so much about polyamory but really like you said it comes back to the tools that we've used to when we've struggled with our relationship to build a strong foundation with our relationship to make progress even when um there's not a particular reason that we need to get past something but just to make progress right uh, right and it's funny how um polyamory in itself has been a growth tool as well as the power exchange mm-hmm. and even the kink has mm-hmm. been they've all been their own style of Right. Growth tool. Absolutely. The title run, the I mean, oh, yeah. everything that we've done in there, the writing of the books, the, you know, just all kinds of stuff. We've used every bit of it as tools to grow. And man, you know, I had someone tell me, um, we stayed at DNA's manor. Oh, well done. Yes, yes. <laughs> Over the weekend. And um, she just kept telling me, she's like, man, you guys just kind of like embrace challenges. I don't, you know, see too many people that are about embracing challenges and the stress that can be involved in it and stuff like that. And I'm like, ooh, at this point, well, knock on wood, it seems to work for us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at this point, I don't know any other way to be. And I'm not looking for lessons. So, you know, I hate saying stuff like that. I'm afraid of jinxing us. But um, it's fun. Yeah. It's stressful sometimes. It's hard sometimes. There's pain involved sometimes. But in the end, that's that's how we're growing and discovering just what it is we can accomplish. You know? I feel strong when we do this. So, mm-hmm. just kind of neat. I feel strong. Good. And coming from a, um, I guess, coming from a background as a survivor, mm-hmm. didn't always feel strong. Right. So it's kind of neat to have that that feeling. Well, I had mentioned during when we were doing this intensive last weekend, uh, two days ago, that it was really neat to see this. There was parts of it where I could just sit down, and that you were just in charge and running it, and to see your you have claimed your strength and your power, and you know who you are, and you're just spreading the gospel of polyamory in this particular <laughs> instance, right? But you do the same right. for. In power exchange and talking about how to be a powerful slave and mindfulness of a slave, some of the classes that you've developed on your own. Um, 
Yeah, so in from that perspective, I think that we've certainly made a lot of progress. We've certainly, in one regards, I want to say we've arrived, but um, we don't really know where we're going to end up at, where, where right. we're going from here. Right, I know. When I was talking to A, it kind of it kind of felt like that whole feeling, like I'd arrived. But man, there is, there's so much further to go, or we don't know where we're going, or what the hell's next. I don't know. So here's something you don't know that's a somewhat, actually, a complete segue. Okay. We were in this room, the podcast, the room we're recording this podcast in today. Mm-hmm. We were here, I was in here with some of the staff from Beyond the Love, our polyamory event. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh. we were doing bag stuffing. I remember that. I wasn't in here. Well, uh, our um, registration person this year right. looked over or looked around the room and suddenly said, that's a really big dildo. <laughs> Album in this room. Yes, and we were all quiet for a moment. And I said, "Yes, yes, it is. Its name is Georgette." I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. So they didn't say anything about the whips and stuff hanging on the wall. No, no. They're kind of hidden back behind me, behind this closet door on the wall. But I was surprised they picked still up the there. Dildo. Well. Yeah, because it's in a bag. Yes. So, but it's a clear bag. Mm-hmm. They didn't say anything about the claws on the picture on the no. wall from our no. book, huh? <laughs> so that is a really big dildo, and yet I had, you know, it's not like I felt like, oh no, no, that's not a dildo. That's a ten pink tentacle statue. <laughs> so um, we do not actually have a question of the day today. If we did have a question of the day, I would ask you this. Mm-hmm. Over the past 13 years that we've been married and we've been in a power exchange relationship and we've been polyamorous, we've been all of those things. Right. Uh, what do you think was the most important one of those three that kept us committed and moving forward? The power exchange. I concur. I thought the you would power say that. Exchange. Yeah. yeah. So that is where we did our most work with building the foundation and um, me learning that I could trust you and have faith in you and um, and in myself, you know, and learning who I really was. So and and embracing all of that, and I really feel like that um, gave me my seat of power. Mm-hmm. So so that I, we could do everything else. <laughs> I, I certainly agree. We um, have both been in non-power exchange relationships prior to prior to us and since us as well. Mm-hmm. But it was certainly foundational to you and I staying together and learning the tools that I think allow us to thrive in non-power exchange relationships I think at so. this point, which is really interesting that I learned how to be in non-power exchange relationships by being in a power exchange relationship. That's really cool. Yeah. Bizarre, really but cool. cool. And if I look at it, see, I haven't looked at it that way with, with my other relationship because you said non-power exchange relationship and I looked at it and I'm like, well, damn, I guess it is. <laughs> so, hmm. We're watching the puppy dog play with her treat ball, try to get the treat out of the hole. That is also going on at our feet. <laughs> if you would like to tell us what's made your uh, relationship solid, solid, or if you have any <laughs> other questions or any other reason, get a hold of us. You can contact us via Dawn and Dan at eroticawakening.com. Uh-uh. Dan and Dawn. What I say? Dawn and Dan. Yes, Dan and Dawn at eroticawakening.com. <laughs> or the got comment form on the webpage, eroticawakening.com. Or you can find us on Twitter as Dan and Dawn. So, or even voicemail. I'd love to hear some voices. So, 614-414-2072. So, while we were preparing to do the podcast today, I was going through my FET mail and I see that 
Haldo wants us to talk about begging. And uh, Haldo says that he really digs the whole begging thing. Mm-hmm. And he wants to hear us talk about it some. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think I would like to interview somebody on begging. Right. Instead of us just sharing our experience. We do some. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know that I would have, that I've got more than three minutes to talk about it. So if you're out there, you're a begging aficionado and you would like to talk about begging and how to cultivate begging mm-hmm. and response <laughs> in your partner, feel free to reach out to us and be on the podcast. So we could record later. You could make me beg for the new toy. <laughs> I could do that. Um, that's not a bad idea at all. <laughs> and I see that Julia R. from our from the podcast, uh, the Fearless Submissive, one of the podcasts on the Erotic Awakening Podcast Network. They wanted to let you know that the Los Angeles Grew is coming up. This is actually going to be the fourth year for the Los Angeles Grew. And uh, it is uh, with the ever-amazing Grey Dancer. Um, if you are in the Los Angeles area, specifically the Road Mead, California area, and you got a couple bucks, you can go to the fourth annual GRU there, held, uh, and you'll get to meet the fantastic Julia R. Awesome, awesome. So, love the Grey Dancer. I've been to one of the GRUs before. Mm-hmm. So, really interesting format. So, I like that. You never know what's going to happen. You don't know who's teaching. It is definitely an unconference conference, so but always have great reviews. Yep. So if you get a chance, try it out. So before we get into this um, interview with Ian Snow, you have mm-hmm. this reading that you've been telling me about. I do, and I, I really wanted to read it, and it's by Inner Mind on um, on Fet Life, and I got got us permission to read it. So, and it was kind of, like I said, it was kind of cool because I came across it. Someone had posted a like on my feed and I've got over a thousand people on my feed. It's kind of rare that I'll notice something on it that really strikes my attention, but I did this time and I went and checked out the writing and, um, oh my goodness, I'm looking at, there was 135 comments and 1162 <laughs> loves by the time I got to it, which was, um, a couple of days ago. So I'm betting it was on kinky and popular. Um, on FET. So, but after I wrote them and said that I loved it, they wrote me back and said they were listeners of the podcast. They were listeners of the podcast and loved the podcast. So, anyway. So, let me read it. I don't want to, um, I don't want to ad-lib it because the writing is so well done. All right. So, um, it's called, It's Not Role Play. It's Playing Out Our Natural Roles. When I play, it's not an act. I'm not pretending to be domineering or intimidating. I'm simply allowing myself to release a part of my personality that I often keep buried for the most part. My eyes physically change when I play. They get darker and the gentle spark disappears. I'm not creating a hunger, I'm just feeding it. It can be intimidating, overbearing, sexy, intense, and gratifying to both of us. My natural role is that of a dom, not because I'm a man, but rather because of the type of person I am. I get excited being in control. I relish the thought of my submissive bound and helpless, to hear her whimper from each strike against her bare, soft bottom, and to turn those whimpers into a sweet song of seduction. To make her want more and to be taken violently with an incredible amount of passion. To be hung on a wall like a Picasso and be admired as the masterpiece of sensual art she is. When I dom her, I'm not pretending to be in charge. I'm taking charge and creating a moment that is real and filled with mutual desires, being continuously realized until we collapse into a puddle of satisfaction. She doesn't pretend to be submissive. Her submission is as real as the air we breathe and just as necessary to both of us. It's not role play. 
is simply us playing out our natural roles. This is who we are. This is how we express our natural hunger and both feed each other's needs. I can see why it's got <laughs> so much love. Exactly. So I just like the way people can put that into words. Sometimes it's hard for me to describe what it is I get out of a scene with mm-hmm. you, you know? And and it's it's not... The, when people say, oh, it's just roles, it's just role-playing, it's just like, yeah, no. <laughs> and I remember in the in our younger days, we used to actually, I used to take rather exception at the idea of mm-hmm. even calling it play, because it's not fun time, it's not play, it's not pretend. Right. It is that opportunity to let your authentic self shine, uh, much like our author, Inner Mind, described it. Exactly. And I actually came across a post recently on FET that I had to ignore, because it was saying the exact opposite of this. It's all role-playing. It's all fun and games. We're putting on costumes. We're putting on masks. We're putting on this. We're pretending that. Mm-hmm. And we're setting the stage. And we're, you know, we're, we're doing a script. And I, I had to ignore it and walk away, which some people couldn't do. Because it's, uh, I don't know. No, it's my inner me. It's me taking off my mask. Mm-hmm. I wear my mask most of the day. And when I'm with you, I can just drop all of that. Right. So when we're in our power exchange, it's not there. It's not allowed to be there. So anyway, great post in her mind. So I am glad it made it to K&P. So I I like the way that you started to slip off into subspace at the end of what you were just saying there. (laughs) I was. (laughs) Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Adventures in Sexuality, Central Ohio's kinky fun group. It is. <laughs> it is indeed. Seasons Beatings is their um, quarterly party, so their seasonal party. This Saturday, if you are listening to this uh, whenever we post it, it is going to be this Saturday, December 13th in Columbus, Ohio. And more information can be found at adventuresandsexuality.org. You could be a pal full of Christmas cheer, and instead of dropping pennies into the Salvation Army's uh, box bucket. bucket. <laughs> Instead, you should go over to rate us on iTunes, tweet about us, lick us on Facebook, or tell your friends. Boy, that's got no Christmas spirit. Ho did ho I just, ho! <laughs> did I just say fuck the Salvation Army? Rate us on iTunes instead. That's horrible. I don't know about that. <laughs> Maybe I'm the Grinch that uh, ate out Christmas. Ooh. Mm. Oh, so uh, since we can't fuck this up any longer, we'll go ahead and bring on Ian Snow, who's going to tell us all about Buddhism. And about meditation and about processing pain and uh, how to create freedom via constraint. So, Dawn, uh, have you taken time to meditate yet today? Today? No, but we found a nice place last night to meditate. We, We did find a nice place to meditate last night. But what does meditation have to do with being kinky? Ooh, I don't know that I can put that into words. Fortunately for us here on the podcast tonight, we have Ian Snow, who is going to be able to put that and some of the the connection between BDSM and meditation and Buddhism all in a good package for us. Ian, thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. You guys are fun. And should I start off just so should I be addressing you as Roshi or Reverend or Your Honor? Uh, Ian, Ian's fine. I'm not any of those things. Just a longtime practitioner. I've been meditating for 25 years. 
teaching meditation for 12 years. I lived four years as a monk, but no, I'm not a reverend, not a Roshi. But living four years as a monk, and it is interesting when I was reading through your bio some that you found BDSM first, and then you began exploring meditation and Buddhism and being a monk. And Actually, the opposite. Oh, okay. Tell me more. Now, yeah, I, I started meditating 25 years ago. I think I had the seeds of being a nasty, kinky person in me, but I was kind of uh, maybe over-socialized by my mom to be ashamed of them and a little scared of them. And I would actually say it's my exploration of Buddhist meditation and getting in touch with authentic truth within me and sort of giving it space that gave me space to let some of my kinky desires out. And I have to say, I, it was years before I found a community. I was just sort of flying blind, just trusting my own um, intuitions. And yeah, I think that my path in meditation and as a monk and learning more and more to uh, delve into my own intuitive truth helped, helped those desires to come out. Ooh. <laughs> I got all kinds of interesting like directions that. to go here. <laughs> Let me start off. This main not be directly on topic but but it is of interest to me how okay. does I, I you are not the only person i know that used to be a monk and now yeah. has a fet life account and <laughs> and part of me wonders how do you go from i mean i i assume i visualize that being a monk is a life path yeah not but, the but, case obviously well, I, I guess it depends on the culture. I think, you know, 100 years ago in Japan, you your parents would never speak to you again if you're a monk and defrocked. And, um, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess there's some Asian cultures where that's still true. Maybe Burma, I don't know. But uh, in modern America, I don't think that, uh, you know, speaking bluntly, white people become monks and sort of stay in it for life. I have friends that have, but... Uh, but no, that's not my way. I, I sort of dip in when my when my life gets a little crazy and then uh, get out of there as soon as possible. I mean, who wants to sleep six hours a night and, you know, work chopping wood in the cold rain and uh, eat whatever they feed you and et cetera? It's, it's not a lifestyle I would choose, but it definitely serves a purpose in terms of calming my consciousness and uh, clarifying um, I think the longest I was ever a monk in one go was a year Okay. before coming back to secular life. Okay. I want to say so something, which is, you know, there's there's lineages in America where people can do long-term retreats where things are pretty, I don't know how to put it, uh, welcoming and friendly, like an easy bed and, and uh, plenty of walking meditation to counterbalance the sitting meditation so that people can stretch out their lower body uh, joints and uh yummy food. But some of the retreats that I've done and uh, the monasteries that I've lived in long term are more in the Zen lineage. And Zen's its own thing where there's a lot of discipline. I've been in some monasteries where you sit absolutely still without moving for 40 minutes. And if you move, they yell at you and or hit you with a stick where there's a whole notion of uh, service to the master and behaving uh, perfectly uh, so as to be pleasing to the master, conquering the ego learning to be humble, developing loving devotion, a notion of letting go of control, a let it, uh, being perfect in other people's eyes, uh, not resisting uh, pain and other experiences, obeying without backtalk. 
So, you know, I identify as a top, but sometimes people say to me, like, well, haven't you ever bought them? I'm like, yeah, when I was in the monastery. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I was going to say, I, I couldn't tell if you were describing Zen or being a slave. Uh, yeah, exactly. Concepts. Again, so, when people say tops should bottom, I'm like, I've put in my time, believe me. <laughs> now, let me uh, ask your opinion on this. And I and as our listeners would know at this point, I do I am I do consider myself a Buddhist. Dawn considers herself certainly Buddhist. Uh, what is it? How you say it? I say I? a Buddhist-flavored pagan priestess Kadishu. And when we go out with, uh, by the way, if you ever go out on Easter as a Buddhist pagan along with your Christian and atheist friends on Easter, it's a fun date. But that's besides the point. We've done that. We have done that. <laughs> Don't do you as a do you consider yourself a Buddhist currently? Before I go too deep down that path. You know, in Buddhism, there isn't something like accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior or Muhammad as the sole prophet of Allah. I think, uh, you know, there is taken refuge, which I've done. So I resisted for a long time calling myself a Buddhist, despite that was what my parents told their friends. But at this point, yeah, having taught it for 12 years, I think for simplicity's sake, I'm pretty much I've drunk the Kool-Aid. So, yeah. Fair enough. So is there no teachings in that religion against BDSM, against kinky sex? You know, it depends who you ask. I think I think in America, a lot of Buddhists are sort of refugees from religion. Their parents, Catholicism or, you know, Baptist fundamentalism or Judaism was constricting to them. So a lot of people find a certain freedom in Buddhism. I think in Asia, though, it is the authority. It is the the old school. It is what your parents believe. So I think there are there are eminent teachers in Asia who, like you know, like a hardcore Christian minister in America, would say the purpose of sex is not pleasure. The only valid purpose of sex is is procreation. So I think a lot of those teachers might say so. But I also think that there are teachers I would consider enlightened or eminent in the tradition who would have no problem with it. I mean, like I said in my little description of Buddhist monasteries, uh, or at least the Zen monasteries I live in, there's a long tradition in Buddhism of using pain as a tool to open. Um, you know, the, the the sort of simplest example is the kiyosaku in in uh, Zen monasteries, which is a flat stick like a like a paddle or like a cricket bat that if people are falling asleep or even if uh, the monitor, the meditation hall monitor, thinks that a person just isn't paying attention. They'll hit them on the shoulders with it. But, you know, the, I think the idea with long sitting periods is that a person, a meditator, is expected, if feeling hip pain, back pain, knee pain, to just sit with it and open to the ways of sensation without resisting them. And I think that there's um, an, an extreme example. You know, I live in the Bay Area is uh, the founder of the San Francisco Zen Center, uh, Shinrao Suzuki Roshi was kind of a famous figure in Bay Area Zen. Um, when he was first a young Zen monk at a, about age 12, his first initiation, it's something called Tangario in Zen. It was sort of, um, this sort of, I don't know, translated in, in the movie Fight Club is that the, the guys who wanted to join the fight club had to sit on the porch for a week. Well, traditionally in Zen monasteries, the initiates had to sit absolutely still for a week I think they were able to sleep a few hours a night to show their sincere desire to join the Zen monastery. Well, what they would do with these with these 12 or 13 year old boys is they would tie them in place so that they couldn't really move. 
And the idea was no matter how much they hurt, they were expected to ride the waves of pain. They were expected to not resist it and fully experience it. So, you know, that's that's one example of many of the way that the Buddhist tradition and the meditative tradition from Asia uses pain as a way of op- uh, creating some sort of sense of spiritual opening and some sort of sense of transcendence. And that's one of the things that you teach about in your BDSM meditation class and about how you can let use the sensation of pain and letting it flow smoothly with no resistance. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Well, um, you know, some of my teachers talk about what we usually call pain is more like what technically in Buddhism would be called suffering. And suffering is the natural physical sensation of pain times our resistance. You know, in Buddhism, there's different ways of talking about the impurities of mind. But one of the impurities of mind is resistance or aversion, um, sort of uh you know, you get in the cold shower and you shiver and you fight against it, or there's someone to go have a difficult conversation with and you don't want to have it. Or in a meditative period, your knees hurt, your your hips hurt, and sort of tightening up against it and not wanting to feel it. Uh, what was the question again? I'm sort of getting off into my, <laughs> no, my I, Buddhist I, trip here. I, no, I totally dig that. And, uh, and Don reminded me, hey, can we talk more about the topic than your Buddhist stuff? So, no, no. The, no. the so, um... The idea that uh, pain, allowing the sensation mm-hmm. of pain oh, to flow smoothly with no resistance. Absolutely. So here's a quote by, um, by a Sufi teacher, Ali Hamid Almas. All we need to do is quit struggling with ourselves and reality. When it is said that suffering ceases, that when one is realized or enlightened, what is meant is that struggling ceases. Enlightenment is not a matter of not feeling pain, but of not fighting it. And here's a Buddhist teacher. Opening to pain is the practice of dropping the conscious resistance by letting go of judging thoughts and continuously relaxing your whole body as much as possible. That's what you find with beginning bottoms. They have judging thoughts like, is this feminist? Is this what would my parents think? Is this okay? Am I letting myself be used? So, you know, the idea in Buddhist practice and meditative practice is to let go of those judging thoughts and just experience the pain as a pain. And then there's a bliss that comes from that. Here's William Henkin and Sybil Holliday, who I'm sure you guys have heard of from their book, Consensual Sadomasochism. Much of the art of SM bottoming lies in learning to surrender to sensation itself, undefining it as something unpleasant that one should try and escape from, and redefining it as an escalation of tactile energy entering one's sensorium that one might rather embrace than reject, that one might embrace increasingly intense sounds, colors, tastes, smells, or emotions. I don't find any difference between those three quotes. They're saying the same thing. And again, two of them are SM luminaries and two of them are spiritual teachers. So for me, there's no boundary. And one, one of the things that I find and one of the um, words that you used was bliss. And I just happened uh-huh. to, to randomly write that down because I have a hard time when I say I can't put this into words. I have a hard time because being a bottom and liking pain and being able to open up to pain and experiencing it brings me bliss. And yeah. I, I try to tell people that that is my spiritual connection. Yeah. And it's, it's just very hard to explain. So I'm hoping those quotes, you know, speak to people because, like I said, I just have a hard time. Without experiencing it, I don't know that people actually understand that sensation of being with the pain and letting it crash through the walls of resistance. Absolutely. 
You know, there's there in many cultures, meditation is closely associated with uh, voluntarily exposing oneself to discomfort or deprivation. You know, there's the Indian fakirs lying lying down on beds of nails. There's the Sioux Indians with their sun dancing. You know, being hung from hooks for four days straight. There's the medieval Catholics with self-flagellation. I think some schools of Islam still do that. There's the medieval Catholics wearing hair shirts. There's Japanese Buddhists and Shinto that would meditate under freezing cold waterfalls. So, I mean, what is that? To the normal Western mind, that just seems crazy. That just seems superstitious. But in each case, it's a religious practitioner intentionally seeking out pain as a tool of purification. And I think BDSM bottoms are a modern way to to touch into that same experience. As you say, Don, people people might people that are not part of the scene might say, well, why would you do that? What's happening there? And and you know, if they haven't experienced the bliss, they they might not understand. But I think it's something a lot of traditional people that were seeking some sort of sense of transcendence would absolutely understand. Mm-hmm. And I actually use it for two things, believe it or not. And what well I'm sure it's believable, but um, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a Gemini. But um, one of the things is is the the transcendence, like you yeah. said. I absolutely love the journeying, the transcendence. Yeah. But I also have the other piece, which you would think would conflict and doesn't, which is being in the present moment. When yeah. when a single tail strikes you, it's either yeah. transcendent or you are totally in the moment because a single tail just struck your ass. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So. Absolutely. I, I remember I read an interview in Esquire magazine once with an NFL lineman and he, or linebacker, and he was talking about how a lot of people in the NFL use meth to get through games. And someone said, well, do you do that? And he said, no, I use my, my meditation practice. And the person said, the interviewer said, well, what does that mean? He said, I get absolutely hollow to the experience. You know, by, by getting completely not resisting the experience and being completely right there with it, with it the pain didn't hurt. But, you know, if your mind wanders, the pain hurts. The pain becomes suffering. But by just experiencing it as waves of energy, there's sort of some sort of, you know, bliss, transcendence opening. I mean, all the bottoms listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about. And all the meditators listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about. I agree. I agree. Yep. So. so so you use the word purification a couple of times. What does that yeah. mean? Well... I, I, you know, in Buddhism, there's different ways of talking about impurities of mind. And maybe this is something that some of your listeners, it's a paradigm that, that they won't agree with. It reminds them of, you know, the Catholic priest talking about sin or something. But it, it's a paradigm that works for me. I, I think sometimes at the end of a day of, of office work, which I've done in my life, my mind is kind of busy. It's kind of grabbing after things. It's pushing other things away. And I'm just sort of like spinning. And that would be a state we could say in Buddhism of, of a lot of impurities of mind, a lot of, you know, you probably have friends that are just weird and you, you can look back to childhood abuse that just sort of knock things in their psyche a little askew. Well, I think what we're looking for in BDSM practice and what we're looking for in spiritual practice is some sort of sense of wholeness, some sort of sense of integration, some sort of sense of healing, some sort of sense of opening what is in us that is, that was, is walled off in the psyche and welcoming it into the family. Um, some sort of sense of peace, some sort of sense of serenity. And after a good scene or after a good sit, that's what we feel. Um, so I think, you know, one way, one paradigm of looking at what happens is working out impurities of mind that we've collected over a lifetime of being spaced out or, you know, experiences we haven't fully felt through while they're happening. 
things like that. Okay, that makes sense. That makes to sense. Me. Well, as a meditator mm-hmm. and as a, a survive abuse survivor, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. Both are both are modalities of healing. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that there needs to be a relationship between sex and spirituality? Can or should they be two separate things? You know, they are in in our culture. You know that that much is. Um, you know, I don't have to tell anyone that living in Western culture that they're often seen as oppositional. But I think that we could say that I think most people listening to this and you you two as as people who have explored both thoroughly understand that they're the two pole the deep two deepest poles of our existence. I mean, we're made out of meat, right? We're made out of a penis ejaculating inside a vagina at some point. We're made out of sex. And at the same time, we are pure vibrating spirit. Those are kind of two deep truths of our existence. I remember I listened to a uh a psychologist once talked about, he found when a lot of people came to him with sexual crises, they're like, my sex life, blah, 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 or I'm not ejaculating right, or, you know, my partner and I this, he often find that some sort of sense of larger spirituality was really what opened them up. And he found when people came to them with religious crises, you know, I, I've lost a sense of God, I, you know, I don't know, I, I've, you know, I, I'm trying to find some sort of larger sense of spirit. He often found that, you know, getting a little nastier with their sex life was what really opened them up. And people often, you know, they're looking under the wrong stone for what really is is missing in them. You know, one other thing I want to say about that is, um, what was I going to say about that? Yeah, I forget. You, you remind, <laughs> that, that just so happens to us all the time. Fair enough. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. But I guess, you know, both of them, as I said before, they're dissolution of the rigid boundaries of self where our body, mind, and soul merge into something bigger, both sex and spirituality. I mean, you know, like they say, people say, oh, God, when they orgasm off. And there's, you know, I've heard some spiritual teachers say the moment of orgasm is, is the moment of transcendence that that some people, unless they have uh, intentional spiritual practices, that's that's a moment of merging and of losing the self that that most people can most relate to. Um, so, so I think there, there is something very intertwined about it. I, I had a professor of religion in college and he talked about there's, there's transcendent religions where you're trying to get out of the mess of the world and merge back into the one, you know, that would be most monotheistic religions and that, you know, in those religions, sex is, is a, is a trap, something we get caught into that, you know, you put a woman in a burqa so that she doesn't seduce you and you only have sex for procreation. And there's definitely the lineage of of Buddhism that are this way as well. You, he called these transcendent religions. And then there's imminent religions. And, you know, the, there's nothing outside of this world. There's no spiritual source. There's no oneness. All there is is, is, is the joy of dancing in this world, sexual pleasure and making money and, you know, the Marxist revolution and the Tao. There's schools of philosophical and religious practice that just talk about just this world. You know, Marx himself said, that the idea that there's something beyond this world is a trap. Um, but he talked to my, my professor said the most mature spiritual practice has a balance of the two. It doesn't neglect either for the other, you know, we do live in this world and we are just the finite animals that we are. And sex is a big part of that. Sex is a big part of how we communicate with our fellow beings. Sex is a big part of our identities. Sex is a big part of our bliss in this life. At the same time, there is something you know, we do come from a spiritual source. There is some sort of oneness that is the backdrop of everything. And and 
I like to think in terms of a tree. A tree has its roots growing down into the moist soil, and it's also got leaves growing up and branches growing up towards the, the one sun. And so it's got, you know, this nasty, moist, dark, shit-kicking sexuality, we could say, for a person. At the same time, some sort of sense of purity, some sort of sense of larger merging, some sort of sense of uh, deeper connection um, that comes from spiritual practice. And I, I don't think we need to choose in the end. I think both of those are us. And for me, a mature person is someone who's really in touch with both. I mean, you, you've you probably met people that are a little addicted to sex. It's like they're one source of meaning. And you've also met holy rollers who, you know, you're just kind of like, it's just you can't wait to get away from them. And some of your favorite people are probably people who have a sense of meaning. They have a sense of serenity. They have a sense of larger connection. And they're fun. They're sexy. They, they you know, aren't afraid to show the trickster side. They aren't afraid to tell you what the fuck they want sexually. So, yeah, I think the most alive people don't choose. I'm Very alive. Cool. You, you are. I'm alive. You? <laughs> <laughs> you guys seem like you are. Yes, indeed. We do our best. Ian, one more question for you, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. I see that you uh, do a variety of uh, lecture topics. You do some traveling. You do some presenting. Where can I find indeed. out more about your BDSM and meditation classes and about yourself? Love to answer that. May I, may I talk about one more thing before I answer that, if we have time, about topping and, and meditation? Oh, absolutely. You know, when I, I, I uh, teach a lot of meditation, I, I have an eight-week class, and I do one-on-one -on -one consultations. And a big part of what I teach is the idea in meditation of riding waves of energy. When a person is doing breath meditation, riding the waves of exactly how their breath feels. When doing body meditation, you know, whether there's pain or pleasure in the body, tuning into the wave-like nature of body sensations. Sound is another uh, sensory gate that can relatively easily, by many people, be heard as vibrations of energy. And for me, that's the essence of topping. You know, I think I think beginner tops are, you know, when I started, there was kind of like, I'll show this person who's boss and I will, uh, you know, it's kind of an ego trip at times. But I found, you know, that never works in topping. I'm sure you guys know this. It has, the, I think topping ideally is riding the waves of energy of the bottom and kind of tuning into like a good massage, what actually opens their body and soul and what actually closes it and having sort of what we would call in Buddhist meditation, a one pointed awareness of both the top's body and the, the bottom's body in the present moment, the mind not wandering, paying close attention to each whip strike. So that to me, I mean, I could say more about that, but that to me is, is uh, in a nutshell, the connection between topping and, um, and, and Buddhist meditation is that sense of presence and that sense of riding deeper and deeper into waves of opening um, so that, you know, the, the bottom experiences bliss and the top experiences bliss. Again, analogously to a good meditation session. And that's certainly true for me. And I've found that one of the challenges I have to playing is I have to be able to connect with them at that energetic level to enjoy playing and I know a lot of people that play purely from a physical perspective and for me a bottom that is not able that I can't connect to through my own inability to connect to them energetically it's just not fun to play with no. absolutely you like absolutely the, you like the dance the energetic dance so mm. So, so now you've that you've said. got yes. so you've said. Now that you've got us all hot and bothered. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Where do I find out more about Ian Snow? Okay, you can go to my website, which is freedomandconstraint.com. F-R-E-E-D-O-M-A-N-D 
C-O-N-S-T-R-A-I-N-T.com, freedomandconstraint.com. Freedom and constraint is all one word. You can subscribe to my announcements list. Um, I mostly teach in the Bay Area. So if you're in Northern California, um, that would be a, a great checkoff for you. I um, There's an email address there on my website as well, info at freedomandconstraint.com. I do do Skype trainings if people are interested in uh, meditation training, relating that to their kinky life or just straight up meditation training. Um, yeah, so uh, feel free to reach out. Fantastic. And I would recommend people go check out your website. If nothing else, uh, one of my favorite pictures of the Buddha is currently on that site. Indeed, it's a wonderful picture. Yeah. Ian, it's been a pleasure to talk to you tonight. And uh, we hope that in our next meditative trance, you show up and spank the crap out of Dom. <laughs> Awesome. You guys are great. It's been a pleasure <laughs> to be here. I, I, I love your podcast. Thank you for interviewing. Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> uh, Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by the Guilty Pleasure Stage Show and its educational branch, the Monkey Puzzle Club. Join us the third Friday of each month for Fetish Foreplay Friday at Club Princeton in Columbus, Ohio. Classes begin at 8 p.m. with party immediately following. You can also catch the Guilty Pleasure Stage Show at Porter's Pub in Columbus, Ohio, the fourth Friday of each month. The Monkey Puzzle Club meets every Wednesday at 8 p.m. at The Room at the Columbus Insight Center. Follow us on Twitter at MonkeyPuzzleOH. You can also follow both Guilty Pleasures and Monkey Puzzle Club on FetLife.com for all announcements and discussions. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn. Bye, Ginger. <laughs> Ginger, come here. <laughs> Silly pup. <laughs>